Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode 94 of Unformidable, where we take a look back at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, because to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is in some way unformidable. Today, well, I don't want to overhype a player or a subject, or well, let's just say if I can't make this interesting, it's all on me, because this is someone who had a biography on the MLB network where they dubbed him both the most interesting man in baseball, as well as the forest gump of baseball for his involvement, both tangential and direct, with some of the more memorable, some memorable, absurd, weird, obscure, historical baseball moments. Lenny Randall was a fun, sometimes productive, and often feisty and very combative player, a personal favorite of a young Bobby Bonilla, and someone who, if not mentioned in Big Hair and Plastic Grass, which I've never read but really want to, uh, is very emblematic of 70s baseball, really should have been mentioned in there. Despite the fierce competitiveness which uh, hallmarked his career, and the combativeness and the battles and a couple of off-field incidents, he was even more of a renaissance man off the field as his varied interests and accomplishments and myriad languages spoken speak to. But that combativeness led him 
basically directly to the New York Mets, where he had probably the best season of his career in 1977. Here is the unformidable journey, baseball and otherwise, of Lenny Randall. Leonard Shenoff Randall was born February 12th, 1949, in Long Beach, California. Lenny's father, Isaac Randall, was a longshoreman and a World War II veteran. And in fact, if you're wondering about that middle name, during the war, uh, his father met a French chef while stationed in Italy who introduced him to the delights of European food. Uh, Randall's father promised the chef out of gratitude for both his friendship and wonderful meals. If he ever had a son, he would give him his name, Chanoff. And after the war, that promise was fulfilled. Well, on a side note, I'm always a little dubious if you tell someone you'll name them after them and then you use the middle name. Seems like a little bit of a cop-out. I hope middle name was specified, but I digress. Randall cherished stories of his dad's military experiences, and he heard echoes of them as his career got it started, as he was his first managers were likewise military veterans such as Ted Williams and Billy Martin. In a post-career interview, Randall said, those guys played baseball as if it was war. Each game brought the intensity of combat. You played a game as if it was the last game on Earth, and you were getting taken over by another country. We were not concerned about our batting averages. It was about the team and winning the game. That's how I learned to play the game. And Randall would give no quarter, and his competitiveness would demonstrate on the field, and again, in incidences off Lenny Randall grew up in Compton, California, where he starred in baseball and football in high school. Uh, he was a 10th round draft pick out of high school by the St. Louis Cardinals, but he did not sign with them. His parents emphasized education. Uh, all eight children in his family would go on to get college degrees. So rather than sign out of high school, Randall would go on to Arizona State University. There he would excel on an excellent baseball team that would go on to win the College World Series in 1969. I would also contribute to the Sun Devil College team. Uh, and despite his slight frame for football, he was a, an occasional wide receiver and a dynamic kick returner where his blazing speed helped him out considerably. He was also on Baseball Team USA when they won a silver medal in the 1969 Amateur World Series and another pre-MLB career success. And in 1970, Randall would be drafted in the first round as the 10th overall pick in the draft by the Washington Senators. Gifted and athletic player, Randall had attributes more appreciated in the 1970s era of baseball, primarily his incredible speed, uh, but also other attributes which might have made him even more appreciated in the modern game, uh, given his incredible positional flexibility and durability. Uh, he was seldom injured played almost every day in his prime, and again had just incredible positional versatility. Most of his playing time was at second base or third base, but he would handle short and the outfield with a plum at all as well. Uh, I was going to compare him to Jeff McNeil, but uh, actually in the outfield he played mostly center field. He was well regarded in his time as an excellent defensive player, and statistically that's backed up as he was a positive defensive player until perhaps the very tail end of his career. Mature and athletic, Randall was sent right to AAA. Uh, he actually never played in the minors below AAA. Uh, when he got out of the draft he went in 1970, he went back to AAA for the start of the 1971 season and would make his Major League debut during that year. He would be up and down 
between AAA and the majors for the Washington Senators slash Texas Rangers franchise in each of the 1971, 72, and 73 seasons. Randall would make his Major League debut on June 16, 1971 for the Senators. No pressure when your manager is only Ted fucking Williams. But he started at second base, went one for four. Uh, his first Major League hit was an infield single off of the incredible Vita Blue of the Oakland A's. On the 4th of July of 1971, against Cleveland, the not-yet 23-year-old Randall would get his first Major League home run, and in the same game, perhaps more notably for the speedster, his first Major League stolen base, uh, both of those coming in that 9-4 Senators victory over Cleveland on July 4th. His Gump-esque catalog of being involved in quirky yet notable Major League games or being on the rosters of teams involved in them began that rookie year, though. Since 1971, five Major League Baseball games have ended in a forfeit, and Randall was on the active roster for two of those. With the Senators' move to Texas public news, they were playing out the string at RFK Stadium in front of some incredibly paltry crowds down the stretch. We're talking like late 70s Shea Stadium numbers. You know, most of them were four-digit attendance games as I was looking at the games down the stretch. Of course, the final game of the season brought out a slightly larger crowd of 14,000 to RFK Stadium on September 30th, 71 to watch the Senators play the Yankees. Uh, both teams playing at the string at what many thought would be the final regular season baseball game at RFK. With two outs in the ninth, the Senators has a 7-5 lead uh, when fans began storming the field with two outs in the ninth and the game not officially over, angry about the team's pending move. Uh, fans kind of began grabbing, I think the first fan to run on the field uh, famously grabbed first base and ran off the field with it. After trying in vain for close to an hour to clear the field, the umpires finally ended the game and declared the Yankees the victors in a forfeit, uh, so the Senators would forfeit that final game that franchise would play at RFK Stadium. An interesting side note, though, I read in the Sabre article about the game, uh, Senator, uh, Senators pitcher Joe Grisenda, uh, who was unable to throw the final pitch, uh, held on to the ball that he never got to pitch to uh, close out the game, and he held on it to it all the way through 2005 when he brought it to the game uh, when the when Washington stole the Expos from Montreal and the team landed back in Washington. Uh, Grisenda brought the ball to RFK Stadium and handed it to then, speaking of stealing, then President George Bush. Uh, but as we in New York know, President Bush didn't know how to throw out a first pitch and he uh, threw that pitch in a strike to then Nationals catcher Brian Schneider. By 1974, Randall and his team obviously had moved to Texas, and he had traded in the tutelage of Hall of Famer, Inner Circle Hall of Famer Ted Williams for another feisty baseball lifer, Billy Martin, who was his manager in Texas. And this time, uh, Randall would be a central figure, in at least in the events leading up to the next forfeited ball game that he would be a part of. 
1974 would be Randall's first season as a full regular. He played 151 games. He earned down-ballot MVP votes, uh, coming in in 21st place in the American League MVP voting that year, as he hit 302 as the team's everyday second baseman. On May 27th of 1974, Randall had a great game for the Cleveland Indi- uh, against Cleveland, doubling in a run early and then singling and in a great hustle play, aggressively breaking up a double play in the fourth inning with a hard slide that took out the Indian second baseman. In the eighth inning, Indians pitcher Milt Wilcox decided to retaliate by throwing a pitch that went behind Randall's legs. Randall retaliated in whatever you may think of it as what I think of as one of the more brilliant ways a batter could retaliate by laying a drag bunt down the first baseline, which seemed to be done entirely and intentionally so that he could throw a flying forearm at the pitcher as he attempted to field the ball and tag Randall out. There is a tweet uh, with a video of it that I will retweet from the Unforbettable account that's just uh, fantastic. It's like a professional wrestling move and... Yeah, I have no doubt, you know, completely intentional and a perfectly executed bunt, uh, if that was your intention. The Indians' first baseman responded by tackling Randall and punching him. Both benches emptied for a brawl that was pretty intense. Um, After the brawl was broken up, Indians' players were struck by food and beer being hurled by Rangers fans. This was not the game that was forfeited. In fact, no players from either team were ejected from what looked like a pretty heated brawl, but hey, it was the 70s. The Rangers won 3 to nothing, but they were slated to visit Cleveland the following week, including during a ser- and the series included a promotion that the Indians had fatefully scheduled called 10 Cent Beer Night. Randall went 0 for 4 with a walk in this June 4th game, Uh, less of a central figure in this one than in the week before, and in the brawl that helped the animosity, and there were exchanged between the teams and Cleveland sportscasters or radio announcers kind of, you know, stoked those flames during the week leading up to the Rangers' visit back to Cleveland. I had heard anecdotally of this game, but really didn't know a lot of the details of it, and reading about it online and researching it was pretty stunning. First off, the regular price of beer at a Cleveland game back then was $0.65, cents, so pretty good discount. There was a limit, if we can call it that, of six beers per purchase, uh, but no limit on the number of purchases uh, one individual could make during a game. Uh, the Indians did not draw well back then, but they did draw 25,134 for the Tuesday night game, twice their average at the time. The Rangers jumped out to a 5-1 lead early um, during the game. The, the mood and the antics started escalating. Uh, a woman stripped and ran onto the field and tried to kiss the umpire. Uh, father and son ran into the outfield inning later and mooned the fans and the bleachers, but quickly the incidents would escalate to things that were more threatening, including players throwing firecrackers into the Rangers' uh, bullpen. Uh, Rangers first baseman Mike Hargrove was pelted with hot dogs and spit and and almost hit by an empty gallon jug of Thunderbird. The Indians had actually tied the game at five, Uh, But then a fan ran onto the field and attempted to steal Rangers outfielder Jeff Burroughs' cap. Uh, Burroughs tried to stop the fan or chase after him and tripped. 
uh, but from but from the vantage point of the dugout, it looked like he had been attacked. Uh, so Billy Martin and the Rangers uh, stormed onto the field, some of them wielding baseball bats, while fans began continued hurling bottles onto the field, started tearing up portions of the stadium seats, and surged onto the field uh, with hundreds of fans running after the Rangers out onto the field. Cleveland's manager could see the danger the Rangers were in, ordered his team onto the field to help protect them. Uh, one of Cleveland's relief pitchers got hit in the head with a folding chair. The players eventually retreated off the field through the dugouts, uh, protecting each other against the frenzied crowd who uh, you know, stayed on the field and continued rioting for up to 20 more minutes. The game ultimately ending in a Cleveland forfeit to Texas, despite the 5-5 to score. Despite these distractions, or perhaps because of them, and uh, perhaps working into the intensity that Randall liked to play. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You continued to be uh, useful to a borderline. All-Star putting up 3.5 war, according to Baseball Reference, in 1974, and 3 in 1975. However, Randall struggled in 76, uh, hitting in the 220s, uh, and at the age of 27, uh, you know, so a, a one-down year, but he was surprised to learn in 1977 spring training that his job was on the line, and even more surprised that he'd lose it to bump wills at the end of spring training who had virtually no major league experience on march 28th the rangers were in orlando for an exhibition game with the twins uh, randall complained about the demotion or the job loss and his manager frank lucchese expressed surprise that someone so well paid and fortunate enough to be a major league ball player should complain about such matters and according to randall went further calling him a punk uh, which led Randall to punch Chasey multiple times by newspaper accounts three times in the face before the altercation was stopped by bystanders. But if only punched three times, then you do not want to take a punch from Lenny Randall, because Lucchese was hospitalized for a week, required plastic surgery to repair his fractured cheekbone, and received bruises to his kidney and back. Rangers fined Randall $10,000 and suspended him for 30 days, and before that suspension was complete, they traded him to our New York Mets for cash and a player to be named later, who was ultimately Rick Auerbach. For the incident, Randall was charged with assault, which he pleaded no contest to in Florida and received a $1,000 fine. Uh, Lucchese actually got fired by the Rangers on June 21st. Uh, he blamed Randall for that, and 
sued him, I believe, unsuccessfully for $200,000. Not only did the incident not affect Randall's play, uh, and perhaps it augmented it. Uh, he was a rare bright spot for a terrible 77 Mets team, one of the renowned darkest years in Mets history, a literal bright spot even when the lights went out and Shea Stadium and New York City were plunged into a blackout. Randall arrived playing second base for the Mets, but opening day third baseman Roy Steger was struggling uh, when Joe Torre took over as player manager of Randall, was shifted to play, be the everyday third baseman, and he would flourish. He'd hit 304 for the Mets in 77 with a 383 on base percentage, 404 slugging for a 787 OPS, um, and a 118 OPS plus that he'd never come close to matching. Uh, he had a career high five home runs that year, still a career high 33 bases, although he did get caught stealing 21 times. Perhaps his most memorable on-field hit, or at least on-field hit that actually happened and counted and wasn't apocryphally uh, referenced by Randall, was a walk-off home run on July 9th of 1977, uh, when the 31 and 52 Mets took on the 38 and 43 Expos. Uh, the Mets were in the midst of a nine-game losing streak, and only a few weeks removed from the disastrous Midnight Massacre trade of Tom Seaver and dismantling of, you know, a once-great, or at least promising and enjoyable team. Clearly going nowhere but down, but on this night, and it's long baseball night, Randall would provide a delightful coda. Uh, the Mets took a 4-3 lead through five innings at the game, uh, when the Expos tied the game in the top of the sixth, when Wayne Garrett would single home Ellis Valentine, who advanced to second after a single on a Gary Carter walk. Uh, Mets past and future all combining to hurt the New York organization, their once-in-future organization. And the game would remain tied from the sixth all the way to the top of the 11th, when Carter uh, would single Valentine home again, looking to play hero, uh, but Steve Henderson would flash the generally untapped potential that made him a key component of the Seaver trade, uh, homering in the bottom of the 11th to tie the game back up at 5. It would remain there until the 17th inning, and damn the Manfred runner, I mean, I know players don't like these epic games, but I miss 17-18 inning ball games, and I hope there's a chance we get him back someday, but at any rate, with one on and two out, Lenny Randall would homer into the right field bullpen for, from what I could ascertain, was his only career walk-off home run, uh, sending the Mets and their fans, or however many stuck it out through 17 for a very poor team, sending them all home happy. Only four nights later, though, would be perhaps a much more memorable night at the ballpark for those who were there, and certainly a much more memorable night in our wonderful, beloved New York City. On July 13th of 1977, a relatively sparse crowd, although actually not very sparse by 77 to early 80s Shea Stadium attendance, notes uh, of 14,626 turned out on a very sticky Wednesday night, the first day of what became a nine-day heat wave with an average high of 97 degrees for those nine days. <sighs> Jeez. 
But they were at least coming out to watch a good pitching duel uh, with the young, successful Cubs starter Ray Burris taking on uh, one of the few remaining Mets stalwarts, Jerry Kuzman. The Mets were down 2-1 in the bottom of the sixth inning. Uh, Kuzman had actually struck out 10 batters through 5 and an 11th in the top of the 6th. In interviews afterwards, Kuzman said he felt so good that day he thought the Major League Baseball strikeout record of 19 was potentially within his reach that night. He would not get that chance. At around 9.30 p.m., Kuzman let off the bottom of the 6th by grounding out. Uh, At around 9.31 p.m., Lenny Randall came to the plate and claims that he slapped a ground ball single the other way past shortstop. The problem was... No one could prove this, as the power went out at Shea while Randall was at the plate and at bat for the Mets, as New York City was sunk into its very famous blackout of 1977. In an interview with the Times afterwards, Randall actually said he thought it was his last at bat. Uh, The stadium went pitch black, and he said he thought God was calling him. I thought it was, I thought I'm gone, and it was my last at bat. Randall took off rounding the bases. Uh, Burris claims he never threw a pitch. Randall claims he had a base hit going, but apparently he was stopped and tackled by one of the Cubs' middle infielders who thought they was, he was showing up the pitcher. Meanwhile, once it became clear what was going on, uh, at least at Shea, New Yorkers could be pretty proud of their behavior, uh, waiting, you know, obviously not knowing that it was going to be a night overnight blackout. Uh, players and fans waited... Uh, for the lights to the electricity to hopefully go back on. Uh, Mets beloved and famous organist Jane Jarvis entertained the crowd for an hour, playing tunes such as White Christmas. The crowd sang along. Joel Youngblood drove a van, drove his van from the parking lot through the center field fence and turned on the headlights to illuminate the infield. And Craig Swan followed with his Buick. And the Mets even pantomimed a phantom infield practice uh, with Bob Apodaca at the plate, Jerry, uh, at batting Jerry Grody behind the plate, um, Jackson Todd, Doug Flynn, Bud Harrelson, and Bobby Valentine around the horn. Apodaca would fake swing, and the infielders would relay the ball around the infield, all in efforts to keep the fans entertained, or who knows, perhaps even entertain themselves. Sounds like a fun thing. I wish there was video of it, kind of like the uh, Robin Ventura dressing up like Piazza and sliding on the rainy tarp. It was that a Yankee Stadium, I think. At any point, Kuzman attempted to stay loose. He wanted to get back on the mound. Met players went into the field-level seats to sign autographs and chat with fans. But after a 75-minute wait for the lights to go back on, the game was suspended. It was resumed 64 days later on September 16th, and this time Randall did hit the ball toward shortstop, but it was fielded, and he was thrown out at first. The Cubs would go on to win the game 5-2, uh, as the Sabre article on the game noted in a crisp 2 hours and 40 minutes and 65 days. Unfortunately, 77 would kind of be a final high watermark uh, for Randall's career, uh, he struggled badly for the Mets in 78. Uh, he hit 233 with a 330 on-base percentage and only a 320 slugging. The Mets would bring him to spring training in 79, but would release him uh, during spring training of 79, starting kind of the journeyman phase of his baseball career. 
He signed with the Giants, and in 79 went from the Giants to the Pirates to the Yankees, only appearing in the majors very briefly with the Yankees. Uh, he was involved in a pretty big-name, heavy trade in 79, with himself, Bill Madlock, and Dave Roberts getting traded to the Pittsburgh Pirates by the Giants for Fred Brining, Al Holland, and Ed Whitson. 1980 saw him watch on with the White Sox, where he kind of got the last regular playing time of his career, appearing in 130 games and getting 489 at-bats, uh, kind of having his last positive war uh, solid season uh, and matching his career high of five home runs that he had set with the Mets in 77. Randall would spend his last two years as a utility player with the Seattle Mariners, where he would be involved in another final quirky on-field moment for which he is perhaps most remembered. As the Kansas City Royals came to town on May 27, 1981, uh, Landold started at third base, and Amos Otis hit a slow roller down the third base line. Uh, Randall got on his hands and knees and blew the ball foul. Umpires disallowed the action and ruled the ball fair. Um, afterwards, Randall said there was a, quote, no-blow rule implemented. As a point of fact, while he didn't get away with it, uh, he this action did directly lead to the rule, baseball rule book being rewritten to make it clear that a fair ball, that it's a fair ball if a fielder alters the path of the ball without touching it. Also of note, off the field in 81, uh, Randall released a hip-hop single uh, called Kingdom, uh, which he put together to benefit a young fan with cerebral palsy. And he'd later release a full-length album with the song and many others in 1983. On June 18th of 1982, Randall would pinch hit in the ninth inning against Royals closer Dan Quisenberry and line a single up the middle uh, with two outs in the ninth. Would be the 1016th and final hit of his major league career. Uh, he came in two days later as a defensive replacement at second base, and on June 28th, a week later, was given his unconditional release by the Mariners. Unable to get back into the majors at the urging of Ted Williams and some other military friends, Randall was encouraged to try a year of Italian baseball. In the spring of 83, he went and played in the Italian Baseball League, where he won the season's batting championship with just your average batting average of 477. Randall, who spoke Italian through his father, uh, you know, settled there, brought his whole family to live over there, uh, and played there for several years, where he was affectionately known as Cappuccino because of his seemingly endless energy and need for a little sleep every night. He was incredibly popular over there, and, you know, every year when you hear about Mike Piazza or Mark DeRosa coaching the Italian team in the World Baseball Classic, well, most people attribute uh, hold Randall principally responsible for the popularity of baseball in Italy, or really um, moving it up a notch in the eyes of the public there uh, to something worth following and helping it burgeon and grow in that country. In addition to the five languages he sp spoke or learned to speak after his time in baseball, Randall has, you know, as we said, as an album produced, he worked as a stand-up comic, and he's run baseball academies in California, Italy, and all over Europe. In addition, he and his siblings own a non-profit 
a nonprofit service that helps students discover and apply for college scholarships. He still travels to Italy where he continues to promote and conduct his baseball clinics and believe it's only a matter of time before someone from his academy becomes the first superstar major league ball player from Italy. For his career, Randall hit 257 with a 321 on on-base percentage and a 335 slugging, uh, giving him a 656 OPS and an 87 OPS plus. Uh, he had, as we mentioned, 1,016 hits and 3,950 major league at-bats. He recorded an 11.6 war, according to Baseball Reference, uh, 27 career home runs. Uh, he stole 156 bases over his major league career to 30 stolen base seasons. Uh, he was caught 112 times, so not the best st stolen base percentage, but nevertheless, an exciting player to watch, and perhaps never more so than his 77th season with the Mets. Uh, in two seasons with the Mets, he hit 272, 358 on base, 365 slugging at a 103 OPS plus. Um, and again, stole 47 bases, got caught stealing 32 times. In two years with the Mets, he recorded a five war for, according to baseball reference. Like Gump, he truly does kind of pop up everywhere. He played in the Senior Professional Baseball Association. Uh, he featured prominently in a book that Peter Golenbach wrote about uh, that league. I believe Golenbach co-authored the Davy Johnson uh, book about the 86 season, if I'm not mistaken. He even threatened or suited up with the Angels during uh, as a replacement player during the spring of 1985, all while pursuing his many and varied off-field interests across this country and others. Kind of goes without saying, I think, that Lenny Randall was truly unformidable. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. You can follow Amazon Avenue on all your social medias, and you can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets.